Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony. I am your host, Margot, and I want to wish you a happy Friday and a very happy full moon in Leo to you on Sunday. Sunday is the day of the sun and Leo also being ruled by the sun, uh, which makes it a great day to go out and flash the sun. Just kidding. But you could work on some sun magic, which in combination with the full moon could focus on strength, action, ambition, authority, confidence, and courage, power, fame, growth, leadership, friendship, warmth, and willpower, and personal empowerment. The moon will be entering the sign of Leo at 3.48 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday and then reaching its fullest point on Sunday at 1.29 p.m. This second full moon of the year is often referred to as the snow moon, named for the heavy snowfalls, which we are not experiencing so far in South Jersey, uh, or the quickening moon for the time of year that we begin to feel the quickening of life once again and the forward motion towards spring. Uh, In North American folklore and from agricultural times, this moon signifies a time of struggle and hunger. As we are only halfway through the winter and farming peoples at the time had to rely on their remaining stores to get them through to the spring. For this reason, it's also a good time to reflect on the many things that we have to feel gratitude for in this day and age. It's also a good time to reflect on the things that we deeply desire and ask ourselves if the attainment of these desires are worth the struggles necessary to achieve them. You may find yourself redoubled in your determination, or you may find that you need to shift your focus away from inevitable heartache and focus on healthier goals. Just a few things to consider on this full moon. So Friday, Friday, Friday. When I first started this podcast and decided on Friday as my episode release day, my intention was to provide interesting and hopefully entertaining episodes around 30 minutes each to start your weekend with a little magic and some food for thought. And as I slowly proceeded, I started to really embrace the magic of Friday and all the love associated with the day, as it is ruled by Venus. And as they do, synchronicities started coming in and Venus began presenting herself to me more and more. I started feeling like like a major proponent for the energies of Friday and the all-pervasive love and even embracing the influences of Venus more and more. Uh, I am a Taurus sun, so perhaps this is coming to me naturally, even though I've typically in the past often allowed my Aries rising to guide me more towards a comfortable association with the energies of Mars. But Mars and Venus do find themselves entwined in love and war, just as Aphrodite and Aries in Greek mythology did. So there's room for both. Actually, there's room for many. Don't even get me started on Jupiter. But that's for another day literally. So this week, I've decided to explore this energy. We're going to examine the influences and correspondences of Friday of the planet Venus and the magic associated with it, Uh, the deities that come to mind when we think of Venus, and especially love. And of course, we're going to discuss love magic and some of its origins. But we're not going to stop there because it leaves the other six days of the week and the incredible magic, astrology, and mythology associated with them all up in the air. So I'm going to start a whole new series today. From here, we will be moving on to Saturday and make our way through the entire week. 
but I'll be releasing these episodes intermittently so I can provide you with a nice mixture of random topics, Fortune and Flora episodes, and of course, this new series. I also think this information will be incredibly useful for any practitioners, beginners and adepts alike, but specifically if you're a beginner witch, because I find that the beginning of your education in witchcraft almost always starts with the timing and the meaning of the phases of the moon, which is extremely valuable information. But until you understand the planetary, zodiacal, and magical associations that are all tied up into the days of the week, your moon phase education can fall a tiny bit flat. After all, a full moon in Taurus that falls on a Thursday, ruled by Jupiter, has much more to say to you than simply a full moon. So for this reason, I think day of the week magic is a much more useful place to start, especially when an urgent need for spell work is hardly ever conducive to waiting for the right moon phase. I like to look at moon magic as a celebration of the moon's phases, whereas daily magic allows me to really get to work when I need to. And when you combine them both, well, that's just pure magic, isn't it? So let's get started on the first of this new daily magic series, Love and Friday Magic with Venus. So Friday. If you remember my Friday the 13th segment from episode 5, then you know that Friday is named for the Norse goddess Frigg, queen of the Norse gods and the wife of Odin. In many schools of thought, the day is more heavily associated with another Norse goddess, Freya, the goddess of love, sex, witchcraft, and victory. And yet another school of thought will say that these two goddesses are two different aspects of the same. Uh, I tend to subscribe to Jason Miller's theory that our deities are neither completely isolated and separate from one another, nor are they all aspects of a smaller number of greater cosmic beings, but entirely subtle energies that may weave in and out of each other while always maintaining their individual qualities, much like the thin streaks of smoke from burning incense. So this is why I never engage in the Venus as a planet versus Venus as the Roman goddess and the difference between said goddess and her Greek counterpart Aphrodite, because typically I can see that both sides of the argument are correct and also a little bit false. There simply is no black and white here. So why choose? Uh, best to step away from that disagreement and go lean on a tree. So... In Daily Magic, Spells and Rituals for Making the Whole Year Magical, Judica Isles writes that Friday is a day dedicated to love, including self-love, and so it is excellent for self-care rituals and for love spells. Because the day radiates Freya's energy, it's ideal for witchcraft and magic spells in general. One reason why I hold monthly Patreon spells on Fridays. There are a number of other deities that are associated with or rule over Friday, and I'll be listing many of them when I get to the correspondences at the end of the episode. But one planetary ruler that I want to cover at greater length here is Venus. Friday very much belongs to Venus, both the planet and its namesake Roman goddess of love. And as such, love seems to be the expertise of Venus. But there is much more to this cosmic body than simply beauty, passion, and the embodiment of love, powerful as these things may be. Venus, the planet, appears to us as the third brightest celestial object in the sky after the sun and the moon, but is most often visible during twilight. And for that reason, it was given the names morning star as well as 
evening star by early astronomers. Though you can see how appearing in both the evening and the morning might cause some to think it two different celestial bodies, and it indeed has a very unique movement pattern in the sky, as does Mercury, the only other planet to have sun conjunctions both in front of and behind the sun, Venus and Mercury. So bear with me here. <laughs> I had to read this part of Planets for Pagans by Rena Shesso twice before it started making sense. Not because of her writing, but because of my brain. So Venus and Mercury make the same loop around the sun, but Venus, being not quite as close to the sun as Mercury, swings out farther to the left and the right. And also like Mercury, we never see Venus on the meridian at midnight. Therefore, Venus is always either an evening star or a morning star, but never at the same time. Instead, it spends about an eight-month period being one or the other due to its unique movement through the sky. The Greeks actually gave these names to Venus, specifically Phosphorus, meaning bringer of light, as the morning star, and Hesperus, meaning the western one, as the evening star. Interestingly enough, the Latin terms were later Lucifer, meaning bringer of light. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the name Lucifer Morning Star, and Vesper, meaning evening. During Venus's transit across the sky, she seems to disappear for up to 14 days during what is called her inferior conjunction, only to reappear again bright and beautiful. Because of how similar her movement is to that of Mercury, I'm reminded of how the Roman god Mercury acted as a psychopomp, commuting the dead to the underworld and also delivering messages between the realms. Freya, the Norse goddess, who is also associated with Venus, as well as Friday, was also the receiver of the dead. Uh, and the reason why I thought this was interesting is it seems to make sense to attribute deities with these occupations when their ruling planets appeared to brighten the sky and then dip below the horizon and disappear for a time only to return again, as if carrying on duties in both the realms of the living and of the dead. So where does all the love and passion come from? Well, we know that a planet that appears to be the most bright and beautiful in the sky will easily win the association of eternal beauty. But love? In Shesso's book, she goes on to highlight one of the first ever songs about love called The Lady of the Evening. In it, Venus, as the evening star, is mentioned, as well as Inanna, an ancient Mesopotamian goddess of love, beauty, sex, war, and fertility. It is an exquisitely sensual song that describes the lovemaking between the Queen of Heaven, or Venus, as Inanna, and the wild bull known as the Shepherd King, Dumuzi. It goes on to explain this horned being taking his pleasure as a young man would and offering her his cream and milk. That's one way to put it. This... The sexually charged verses, amusing as they may be to a nerdy perv like myself, actually describes Venus appearing near in the sky to a new crescent moon, or young wild bull, Demuzi, 
I also don't want to move on from here without pointing out the peculiar transit of Venus disappearing and reappearing and her association again with the goddess Inanna, whose descent and initiatory journey of self-discovery, sacrifice, and resurrection is the first that we know of in ancient mythology. Just another story versus planetary transit association that is super interesting and cool. The story of the descent of Inanna, who seeks knowledge from her sister Areshkigel, the ruler of the Kingdom of the Dead, is as fascinating as it is inspiring, and I recommend you give it a look. It is a major reason why Shesso points out that Venus has close associations with death and rebirth, as well as love. And one last extremely intriguing tidbit about Venus's movements through the sky is that through her series of solar conjunctions, we see her trace a nearly perfect pentacle in the sky in a repeated pattern. One of Venus's pentacles covers roughly eight years. This is perhaps why Inanna's symbol was that of an eight-pointed star rather than five. Remember, Venus is also only visible for roughly eight months at a time. First as the morning star, before disappearing, and then eventually reappearing as the evening star. So, as we travel forward in time, we find many other references to the bright planet, inspiring thoughts of beauty, passion, and love, up until the planet is finally named for the Roman goddess of those exact qualities. From here, we see the fundamental principles of Venus develop into what we know her for now, those of love, harmony, beauty and luxuries, opulence, aesthetics, grace and charm, magnetism and charisma, indulgence, sensual pleasures, marriage, marital and conjugal bliss, femininity, and partnerships. Many astrologers hold the planet as the second most auspicious after Jupiter, and that natives with a strong and a well-placed Venus on their birth charts are considered to be very fortunate. They may acquire success without much struggle in life, or be blessed with a very pleasant, attractive personality and a charming appearance. They may also have a taste for the arts, music, dance, and drama, great aesthetics, a great sense of style, and a love for excellent food, and extremely important, a love of comfort. Venus enables us to appreciate the beauty and everything wonderful in the creation of the universe. Venus also inspires us to start spreading love and eventually makes us realize that no force in this world can be as strong as love. To add further, it makes us capable of absorbing the happiness around us, affection, love, warmth, kindness, understanding, fondness, and other such attributes or feelings that are associated with Venus. It is the natural signifier of relationships and the loving bonds between humans. Thus, it stands for all matters of the heart, such as love, romance, passion, sex, carnal pleasures, happiness through spousal partnerships, and both forms of attraction, that is, attracting others and getting attracted by others. So with all this love energy from Venus, we have to talk about love magic. Love magic is such a tricky thing. Instantly giving off a pleasant connotation, but sometimes taking a sharp left turn down a dark path of absolutely fucking with somebody else's free will. 
Love magic definitely resides on a slippery slope, and for that reason, many practitioners will only promote self-love magic, or the type of magic that seeks to bring the ideal partner to you without fixing on a specific person. But love magic has been around for as long as angst itself. It has been attested to on cuneiform tablets from the ancient Near East, in Egyptian texts, in the Greco-Roman world, the Middle Ages, all the way up to present day. Some of the earliest evidence of love magic comes from 2200 BCE, found on cuneiform tablets, which preserved the rituals of erotic magic uncovered at Telingara and Isin, which is present-day Iraq. Even more ancient evidence has been found in an Egyptian ostracon, which is a piece of pottery that is used as a writing surface, showing similar rituals. This dates back to the 20th dynasty, or the 12th or 11th centuries BCE. In the Greek magical papyri, which incorporates Egyptian, Greek, and Hebraic elements into a large collection of spells, hymns, and rituals, various spells for erotic attraction and compulsion can be found. And from Hellenistic Greece, a number of amulets, among other artifacts from 2nd century BCE, are also said to have been used for the purpose of love magic. How they could tell, I'm not really sure. Maybe they found themselves getting a little worked up after uncovering them. <laughs> Who knows? But one love spell found in the PGM, or the Greek magical papyri, is described as an excellent love charm and employs the use of magical signs known as chiroctories. These symbols often had the shape of asterisks or lines ending in small circles, and this love spell makes use of such signs. It explains that on tin lamella should be engraved with some magical signs and names, rolled up with some magical material, perhaps a lock of hair or a piece of clothing, and thrown into the sea. The practitioner should also remember to use a copper nail from a wrecked ship for writing. Very specific, but Love is no trivial pursuit, I suppose. In the early Middle Ages, we see a lot of evidence that women were considered more likely to be practitioners of love magic, which was considered to be a lesser intellectual type of magic. Shocking. For instance, in the works of Regino and Prume, Bouchard of Worms, and Hinkmar, the practitioners of love magic are usually gendered as female. This is because love magic in general can be seen as drawing upon things that are perceived as fundamentally feminine, such as fertility, birth, menstruation, a woman's nature or shameful parts, that is, genitals. Oh no, not my vulva wreaking havoc again. This outlook on women being the common practitioners of not just love magic, but magic in general, was further pushed in shitty publications like the Malleus Maleficarum, as well as the Trials of the Holy Office, in which most of the cases brought before the council were women being accused of bewitching men. It also further illustrates the common stereotype of the time that women, and not men, were the only practitioners of magic, which history and about a hundred remaining published grimoires still available to us today shows us that is not true at all. In fact, a prominent magical scholar by the name of Matthew Dickey has put forth the argument that men were the actual main casters of love magic, even suggesting that the largest age group that practiced love magic were younger men targeting unobtainable women. 
Among the many possible explanations as to why the art and literary worlds have painted a contradictory view, the most common accepted is that, and uh, to paraphrase here, these dudes were super embarrassed and just covering their asses by throwing women under the bus. History is written by the victors, after all. I should also note that many of the accused women were also prostitutes and courtesans, because, you know, if a respected gentleman were to stray into the arms of a hired woman, he must have been under a spell. These accusations couldn't possibly have anything to do with a perceived and uncomfortable shift in power, or shame, or resentment. Nope. Must have been that good old-fashioned bibbidi-bobbidi-booty call from the devil woman. Anyway, moving into the Renaissance, we see love magic becoming a somewhat lucrative practice, one that was reserved for individuals who could not only afford to pay for it, but also had much to gain from a particular union of marriage, so it primarily targeted individuals of wealth and nobility. In a society where class separation was vast and extreme, this was certainly a way for members of the lower class with a little know-how to make a small fortune. Although some of the most prominent and wealthy figures in society might see to it that their magical practitioners were also men of favor, and so class separation rears its fugly face even in the magical community at this time. Okay, I've griped about history enough here, and I want to get back to love. Love and Friday magic with Venus. Here are some ways that we can embrace the energies of love and Venus and all the wonderful things associated with Fridays. You can practice self-love magic, especially if you are one that suffers from negative self-talk, i.e. just about all of us. Get out and be social and friendly with others. Socializing and relating to others is important to Venus, who resides over partnership, union, friendship, and romance. You could try some glamour magic or simply give yourself a day of pampering to let your inner beauty shine. Beauty is strongly associated with Venus, so you can also choose to indulge your senses with the beauty of art, music, dance, or theater. Venus rules both Taurus and Libra, and both signs are big on aesthetics. You can tap into this energy simply by rearranging a cozy space in your home and adding a few eye-catching, natural, or pleasing elements to thrill your inner Venus. And I think this one is obvious, but people, if you're feeling in the mood and you have a consenting partner, just get it on. Get yours. Give them theirs while you do that, though, because remember, partnership. Partaking in sex magic can be incredibly powerful under the energies of Venus, especially on a Friday. And some subtler ways that you can start to immerse yourself in the energies include carrying a rose quartz with you today to send out some gentle and loving vibes to any cranky people you may encounter. I actually have a rose quartz bracelet that I frequent frequently that I frequently switch from my left wrist to my right wrist and back again. Um, I wear it on my left when I feel I could use a little love to come my way. And I wear it on my right when I'm about to have a day where I know I could use a little help being the one that steps forward with love and gives off the energy of love to people or situations that I'm dealing with. Um, let's see. You can do some spell work with a flower, specifically a rose. You can enchant a single rose for friendship and inner beauty and set it on your vanity, or you can empower a red rose for passion and place it in your bedroom. Try sharing a romantic meal with your partner, especially one that includes strawberries, as they are known to be a love-inducing food that is sacred to many love goddesses, including Freya. 
Sprinkle salt on your doorstep on the first Friday of the month to increase luck and protection. Or you can craft your own little ritual or spell using some of the following correspondences that I collected from Daily Magic by Judica Isles, Llewellyn's Complete Book of Correspondences, and a few of my own personal favorites. So, Friday correspondences. The zodiac sign is Taurus, solar system, Venus, of course. Tarot cards include the Empress, Lovers, and the Two of Cups. Colors are aqua, blue, green, indigo, and pink. Trees, herbs, and miscellaneous plants include apple, birch, myrtle, feverfew, raspberry, rose, strawberry, thyme, violet, saffron, and sandalwood. Gemstones include alexandrite, amber, cat's eye, emerald, rose quartz, and ruby. The metal is copper. Issues, intentions, and powers regarding Friday include beauty, emotions, fertility, friendship, happiness, love, magic, passion, pleasure, romance, sex or sexuality, and wisdom. And for sacred beings associated with Fridays, we have Saint Agnes, Aphrodite, Astarte, Frigga, Saint Helena, Lakshmi, the Marasa, Maria Padilla, Mermaids, Morgan Le Fay, Osain, Oshun, Pachamama, Paraskiva, Shango, Sidi Kemharosh, which is the king of Morocco's jinn, Venus, Yewa, Freya, Eros, the angel Oriole, and Santoshima. So, I have something really fun to share from Spirits of the Otherworld by Allison Crawbuck and Rice Everett and Prestel Publishing. I have the Love and Beauty Cocktail, inspired by Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, who is referred to as an occult feminist, interestingly enough. I also have a recipe for a blackberry in thyme shrub that is required to complete this particular cocktail recipe, but sounds pretty amazing for adding to all types of beverages and even using as offerings. A little about the occult feminist, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa first. So just a few years before the publication of the three books of the occult philosophy, Agrippa had written another important yet controversial text, The Nobility of the Female Sex. At the time, Renaissance opinions of gender were largely a continuation of the sexist beliefs inherited from ancient philosophies and religious doctrine. It was commonly accepted that men were, by nature, superior. Women were believed to be emotionally charged, irrational, and more susceptible to the devil's influence. Uh, the very term hysteria comes from the Greek word for the womb, hystera, insinuating excessive emotion to be specifically a female trait. The nobility of the female sex disputed these omnipresent biases. A true Renaissance mind questioning the world around him, Agrippa challenged the anti-feminist beliefs of his predecessors. He argued that women had been largely excluded from society, not owing to any inferiority, but because of the social prejudices of their oppressive male counterparts. He proclaimed the illustrious female race to be infinitely more superior. For Agrippa, astrology played a vital role in summoning the powers of natural magic. Of the seven classical planets in the celestial realm, only one is always depicted in female form, Venus. 
What better way to celebrate Agrippa's contributions to astrology, natural magic, and feminism than by paying homage to the celestial governess of the sky? Agrippa depicted Venus as the fruitful lady of love and beauty, the queen of all delights. Among the many gifts of nature that Agrippa lists as falling under her governance are sweet pears, blackberries, thyme, and the rose of Lucifer. Combine these early delights and you will possess an offering worthy of the fruitful goddess. For the blackberry and thyme shrub, in a large one liter or one quart glass jar, combine four and a half ounces of blackberries, a third of an ounce of thyme, two and a half ounces of castor sugar, eight and a half ounces of apple cider vinegar, and a pinch each of sea salt and black pepper. Let infuse for one week in the refrigerator, shaking the jar daily. Strain through a fine mesh sieve and funnel into a bottle, and you can keep this for up to six weeks in the refrigerator and makes approximately 20 servings. Now for the love and beauty cocktail, which is very much um, enhanced by this blackberry and thyme shrub. You will need one ounce of pear schnapps, a half an ounce of rose liqueur, a half an ounce of the blackberry and thyme shrub, a half an ounce of lemon juice, and top with carbonated water and garnish with a blackberry and a sprig of thyme. Shake all ingredients except the carbonated water with cubed ice. Hawthorn strain into a highball glass filled with cubed ice and top with carbonated water and garnish. And enjoy. Sounds delicious. I can't wait to try it. Okay. And before I leave you, I also want to include a shout out and a very heartfelt thank you to the newest members of the Patreon. Welcome and thank you so much for your support to Isotra and Coco. I hope you love the bonus content as well as being a part of this little growing community of uh, Agrimonians, Afa heads. Nope, neither of those work, but I'll keep working on it. I'll find something. Okay, that is all that I have for you today. Be well and have an amazing Friday and an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, and the soon-to-come coven shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash a is for agrimony. And if you're interested in some exclusive insider bonus content, you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, and much more. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at A is for That is all. Be well and talk to you next time.